welcome to Talent Talks. I'm your host, Melissa Luna, and my pronouns are they, she. Joining me today is MSJC's LGBTQIA collective from the San Jacinto campus for a discussion about trans rights and trans issues. We're going to be discussing some recent events in the news, some really concerning legislation, and what actions you can take to help support the trans community. Just a heads up to our listeners, we will be talking about some heavy topics, including the recent school shooting in Nashville, Tennessee. Nonetheless, I am so glad to have you all here today for such an important discussion. Can you tell me a little bit about your club? And for those of you who feel comfortable, share your name and pronouns with us. Sure. Uh, hello, uh, my name is Cesar Carrillo, pronouns he, him, and I'm the president of the LGBTQIA Collective. Uh, our club was mainly started in order to build a uh, space for people who are part of the LGBTQIA community. And our main goals are basically having a place to discuss any issues in the recent news, any, any sort of issues uh, pertaining to LGBTQIA community. And in order to share any uh, recent information, any, any resources for anybody who's LGBTQIA, LGBTQIA on the campus, you know? Uh, I'm Naomi Dillon Sass. I'm the ICC representative of the LGBTQIA collective. I am double majoring in queer theory and in theater arts, and I am a pansexual, and my pronouns are she, her, and ella. There's a Saga club at Menifee campus, which does a lot of the stuff we do, but there's many of the San Jacinto campus uh, school members who can't make it over there, so we wanted to make another club over here at our campus. And I'm Jean, um, my pronouns are he, him, and my major is technical theater. And I'm just really happy to get to be a part of something like this, to be a part of a community building group. And hi everyone, my name is Ezekiel Lopez. I am an assistant professor in the English department at the San Jacinto campus. I am also the co-advisor for the club, uh, along with my colleague, Chelsea Johnson. Um, we're both in the English department and we're really excited to really just support this space. Um, we understand the necessity and think that it's really vital for you know, students overall well-being um, and to have this kind of space where you know, we can all gather and share ideas about creating awesome events or brainstorming for ideas like uh, like we have for this podcast. And also overall, just like promoting higher education, mental health and, and advocacy for our community. We're so excited to be here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you for creating such a welcoming space um, for students on the Mount San, Mount San Jacinto campus. Um, I really appreciate that your club is here and doing the work that you're doing. Just to start us off, maybe we can explore some LGBTQIA plus identities, because I know not everyone who's listening might be familiar as others um, with, for example, what it means to be trans. So what might that look like for different people? So we were going to kind of explain um, what each letter in the LGBTQIA plus uh, acronyms, what, what each one stands for, and then uh, Caesar was going to start us off with that. I'm going to start us off uh, with the letter B. The letter B in the acronym LGBTQIA uh, stands for the term bisexual. The term bisexual is used to describe a person who experiences emotional, romantic, and or sexual attraction to more than one sex or gender. In the past, the term had been used to describe anybody who had a attraction to both women and men, you know, hence the bi as in bicycle too. But now with more recent discussion, uh, challenging the sorts of concepts of gender and sexuality, bisexual has come to mean anybody who has a, an open attraction to more than, to, than one sex or gender. Uh, the CGC reported 
that 5.5% of women and 2% of men reported that they identify as bisexual, while only 1.3% of women and 1.9% of men reported as being homosexual, gay, or lesbian. Uh, this sort of shows the fact that bisexuality may compromise the largest group of people in the LGBTQIA community. Uh, but despite this, many people uh, dispute the fact that bisexuality may exist, adopting a sort of either-or mentality, saying that you're either straight or gay or lesbian. And because of this, the sexuality faces a lot of erasure. A lot of people who identify as bisexual are referred to as gay or straight, depending on their current partner, despite as identifying as bisexual. Here. And I'm also going to be going over the letter Q. Uh, the letter Q can refer to either the term queer or questioning. Queer sort of an umbrella term that refers to anybody whose sexual orientation is just not completely straight heterosexual. Or it can also refer to anybody whose gender orientation is not strictly cisgender, i.e. Uh, people who are non-binary, gender fluid, or gender non-conforming identities. Queer in the past has been used as an insult, sort of as a synonym for weird, strange, or out of place. But the term has been reclaimed by the LGBTQIA community but hasn't been wholly accepted by everybody. The Q can also be used to refer to uh, questioning, which is just anybody in the transitive part of their life where they're not entirely sure about their sexuality or gender. Thanks, Caesar. I'll be defining the A in the acronym as well as the plus. So the A in the acronym stands for um, gender identities and also encompasses sexuality, such as agender individuals who do not identify as any gender, and see themselves as genderless or gender free. Um, and then for sexuality, there's asexual and aromantic. Asexual feels no to little sexual attraction towards others, while aromantics feel no to little romantic attraction to others. These sexualities are a spectrum within themselves with several specific terms to describe asexuals of various differences. And the plus in the acronym is for all other gender identities and sexualities which are not covered within the acronym itself. Some of these are subcategories of broader terms in the acronym while others stand alone. So there are non-binary individuals, uh, which are people who do not identify solely with a binary gender framework. They could be masculine, feminine, both, neither, and so on. Gender fluid individuals are those who flux between masculine, feminine, and non-binary gender identities. And pansexuals are individuals whom are attracted to anyone regardless of their gender identity. And I... I really appreciate this part because I'm a trans non-binary person. Um, so shout out to Andrea for uh, just defining these things and, and um, kind of just adding the nuance to uh, these terms and folks within that identify with these identities. And then I'll be defining the G and the I. Um, as for the G, the G stands for gay, which became a term that was essential to the gay rights movement which referred strictly to gay men who were men in same-sex relationships, but gay was also used to refer to all same-sex or non-straight relationships, uh, regardless of who was involved, making it act a lot of times as an umbrella term uh, to many relationships and to the community as a whole, which was often lumped together as the gay community, making it a sort of flexible term. The I in LGBTQIA does not refer to a sexuality, but to an identity revolving around the state of being born with features outside of the gender binary. Intersex is not a medical problem that requires any treatment. However, many intersex babies are surgically altered to fit a more binary definition of an assigned sex without consent and often leading to further medical issues, 
such as sterilization, scarring, or loss of sensation. Intersex people may have a mix of reproductive organs, chromosomes, or hormones that do not fit a male or female box, where their assigned sex often does not represent their experiences or their identity. Intersex people are just as capable of identifying with any sexuality or gender identity, and some may not consider themselves part of the LGBTQIA community at all. However, as they have unique experiences and face harm and discrimination all the same for their gender presentation or nonconformity, they are considered a protected group under the label and the only sex that falls under the umbrella. Thank you. And um, our president, our vice president of the LGBTQIA plus collective um, is Mel, and they were going to be here, but unfortunately they got really sick and couldn't make it, but they were um, identifying the letter L. And the name comes from Women Loving Women, and that comes from uh, the island Lesbos, the home of the poet Sappho, famous for their poems dedicated to women. From Sappho's home, we have created a name where women, cis or trans, and non-binary people can feel at home. The acronym we have today wouldn't be what it is without the kindness and generosity of lesbians. During the AIDS epidemic, lesbians nursed gay men afflicted by the virus. Lesbians hosted blood drives and brought attention to the community when the government refused to do so. And to honor the work of these people, uh, they have been placed at the beginning of the acronym, making the GLBT into the LGBT. It still stands at the start of the LGBTQIA plus acronym, the latest version of it. And then I am going to explain the T in the LGBT. Um, it was added to the LGB in the late 90s. The T stands for transgender, and there are a few forms of it. First, we have our trans femme, which are individuals who identify with the more feminine parts of themselves, often using she, they pronouns. We have trans masculine is someone who transitions to present more masculine, but not necessarily as a male. They often use he, they pronouns. Some terms you might've seen before are FTM, which stands for male to uh, female to male, AKA a transgender male or man, typically using he, him pronouns. Another term is MTF, and it's the same thing, just reversed, uh, male to female, AKA a transgender female or woman like myself. And personally, I use she, her pronouns. Lastly, a non-binary person fits under the same category. Um, they identify with either, um, they usually identify with they, them pronouns because that makes them feel more comfortable not being selected to a specific gender. If you are ever unsure what pronouns to use with somebody, start with they, them when you're talking about the individual until you get the chance to ask them properly what their preferred pronouns are. And that was basically us, you know, defining uh, the LGBTQI plus acronym. Um, Melissa, I know you asked us an awesome question. If would you mind just like repeating it again um, and kind of start off? Well, thank you so much for explaining all of that. You covered so much ground and gave us some really awesome context um, as to what all the terms mean and actually what the roots of the terms are, which I think is really helpful in identifying why these um, identities are important um, and why respecting each unique identity is important. Um, and thank you. I actually was going to ask if you could clarify, you know, the um, how trans is kind of an umbrella term and how non-binary fits into that. Um, so thank you for much. Thank you for much. Thank you so much for explaining all of that. Um, I think that you clarified all the questions I had actually.
Um, okay, so um, since we've discussed all of that, um, I think that I would really like to, um, I would really like it if you could maybe explain um, the recent tragedy that happened in Nashville and maybe give us some understanding as to what's going on regarding um, gender identity, why there are so many questions regarding the shooter's identity um, and kind of the, um, the aftermath of what's going on over there. So I will start off the discussion here about the recent Tennessee shooting. Uh, this research was done by one of our members, Andrea, who unfortunately could not be here. Zoom. And so recently on the 27th of March in Tennessee, there was a shooting in Nashville at the Covenant School. Uh, the shooting was perpetrated by a, a trans man named Aiden Hale, who was uh, 28 at the time. Aiden was a former student of the school in his youth. And it's been reported that the shooting had been planned out previously for many months in advance for due to personal reasons. Six people, three children, three staff of the school were killed in the shooting and Aiden Hale was shot dead by police who responded to the active In the aftermath, Aiden was reported as woman uh, by the police until his identity could be determined. And it seems that America is no stranger to spree shootings with incidents of them only increasing every year. Political discussion was made yet again on gun control and what could be done to prevent this from happening, but another discussion was also taking place. Aiden Hale was a transgender man, and the right wing has taken this to try and push a claim that all trans people were dangerous individuals who would commit the terrible crime Aiden had. News coverage, politicians' social media, and discussion among supporters of the party turned towards painting trans individuals and the LGBTQIA community as dangerous. This coincides with an effort to pass bills that target our community and attempt to fearmonger voters into supporting bills that specifically target trans individuals. And again, I credit this all to our lovely Andrea who could not be here. Yeah, I found it very um, peculiar that this happened in the same week and month where there was over 20 different anti-LGBTQIA plus legislation going into the house to be admitted. Um, and I think they found a perfect opportunity to push their narrative and try to get as many as those legislation passed because a few of them did, unfortunately. Um, but here are some statistics about gun violence itself. The total number of gun violent deaths for all different causes are 13,134. And by the way, this is just uh, this year so far, just 2023 from the start to uh, April 23rd. Um, homicide murders involving guns, there are 5,610. Suicides involving guns, 7,524. Total number of uh, injuries related to gun violence is 10,288. Mass shootings, 172. Mass murders, 17. Number of children killed, 80. Number of children injured, 191. Number of teens killed, 467 number of teens injured, 1,136. 90% of teenagers are killed in the act of dating violence, um, and most of them are girls. Black youth are four times more likely to be killed with guns than their white peers. Most press from cities and counties where the shootings occur all have the same thing to say with no real action for a solution. Um, what they usually say is, our thoughts and prayers go out to the families affected by this tragedy. 
When will local and larger governments make bills that protect these children from gun violence and not worry about what gender someone identifies with? Uh, they're pushing the focus away from the bigger problem at hand, like gun violence itself. Um, about one out of five LGBTQIA plus youth have been threatened or injured with a weapon on school property. And that's um, very, very unfortunate. And I believe two out of three um, youth who killed themselves are also people who identify under the LGBTQIA plus category. No, not two to three, they're two times more likely than a, a, a cis heteronormative child to kill themselves than. I also wanna to add to that, um, and just thinking about these statistics, um, I think it's really interesting that given the shooting, um, there was this kind of rush to criminalize um, the shooter, but mostly focusing on like, you know, uh, his like transness. Meanwhile, when, you know, trans people experience violence um, and they, you know, there's the, the amount of violence is uh, horrible, but when they experience violence, um, their gender identities like are not always accurately represented or identified. So oftentimes the, the statistics aren't even accurate, but also um, when it comes to that, when there's violence against them, like people aren't really focusing on, you know, getting their accurate gender identities. It's only when, you know, they're in situations like this, right, where they're like a perpetrator of violence that they're focusing on their gender identity. So I think that's really telling of the ways that, uh, you know, there's this shift of, of blame and it's really centered around their transness and just continuing to criminalize trans people, um, which just goes hand in hand with the statistics that Naomi was sharing with us um, of like, let's let's focus on the real issue about gun violence and not so much about, you know, the gender identities of, of these folks that cause this violence. Exactly. And if you go back to where it says mass shootings so far, um, 172, one this year was a person who identifies as transgender. What about the other 171 shooters? You know, where are they getting, um, where are they getting this huge pass on because they're just heteronormative majority cis white males, but now they found the perfect opportunity to uh, push the narrative in the direction that they were trying to because of uh, trans people being a weak, small minority where if we don't get the help from other individuals, we won't be able to uh, fight back pretty much. Also, I'd like to add just the fact that uh, the shooting didn't open up any sort of com conversation politically about you know, gun rights, gun laws, it only opened up discussion about the sort of criminalization and the demonizing of the LGBTQI community. None of them were talking about like, hey, we should do something about this because it was done with a gun. We should do something about this because the shooter was trans. That was the entire discussion about it politically. And if they were straight, we wouldn't, we probably wouldn't be talking about this really. But the fact that they were trans made this go, come into like the sort of uh, the gestalt, the sort of uh, the whole news of the entire country. Everybody started talking about it. If they were straight, no, every, it'd be just uh, 
put on their carpet, you know, ignored, just, oh, another shooting, but, oh, it's trans, oh, we got to do something, no, oh, the horror, like, just the sort of hypocrisy just seen in the political landscape, really telling. Yeah, if they were a straight person, they would just send out this exact same thing that each county and city says, our thoughts and prayers go out to the family affected by this tragedy. Um, we're going to need a little more than thoughts and prayers to actually help things like this stop. Yeah, I thought it was interesting when I was looking at news coverage um, that there was so much emphasis on whether or not the shooter was trans, what was their gender identity, because like you said, um, this is, is something that otherwise might be largely ignored, but because this person was a shooter, suddenly this was this huge focus. Um, and I wonder, um, you know, is this, uh, could you tell me about uh, whether you think this is um, largely being used as a distraction from the conversation around gun rights? And because it's my understanding that these guns were all purchased legally. Oh, in a, in a bunch of different um, states right now, I can't think of the exact states, but they're the ones that have a lot of legislation against the LGBTQIA who firmly stand by their Second Amendment rights. Um, they made it even easier to get a gun now. Like you don't have to go through a background check. You don't have to um, have, they don't have to check um, your criminal record. They don't have to check your mental record and you could just go in there and buy a gun. And then not only that, if I'm not mistaken, this specific shooting, the Tennessee shooting, the, uh, how much Tennessee loves their guns, as soon as I think less than a week after the shooting, the gun that was used to kill those poor unfortunate souls um, was sold back out on a police police auction, just sold back into the streets to anybody who wanted to buy it because they don't have any gun regulation. So the same gun that used to kill people is now in the hands of somebody else who could potentially do the same thing. And if not, they're a little suspicious for wanting to purchase a gun that was specifically used for that sort of act. Because it was never about the guns. It's never about the actual like violence that happened. It's finding a foothold. It's a waiting game to find a political foothold to use and abuse to work your way around it. Could you um, tell me more about how um, the aftermath of the shooting is um, being uh, weaponized against trans people or um, people of the LGBTQIA plus community? So I think um, a lot, uh, I think that specific incident kicked off a bunch of other incidents to start focusing on the transgender problem, quote, quote, there's no problem. Um, but like that opened up, I just seen something about um, on a college volleyball team, a trans girl was playing volleyball. And when she spiked the ball, it hit somebody in the head, which happens in volleyball at the time, but she has, um, she has still problems for a concussion. 
um, which is really unfortunate, but um, they're pushing that narrative now too to make it where trans people shouldn't play in sports. They're trying to be like, oh, that happened specifically because that's a transgender person. You know, these people aren't who they say they are. They are what they were, they are what to quote God wants them to be. Yeah, I think a, a lot of the aftermath definitely um, adds to the harmful framework that is just kind of ongoing politically in terms of um, just continuing to build up this fear of trans people, um, folks who dress in drag. Um, so I think a lot of the aftermath that we're seeing now is seen through a lot of anti-trans legislation, these different policies that are trying to go into effect. And I know that we have some specific examples of, um, of some you know, legislation that we wanted to kind of just talk about. And um, especially just in relation to like this overall aftermath. Uh, so we wanted to talk about, along with this, uh, sort of a recent bill that's recently been pushed as a as an effort against you know anti-trans it's an anti-trans bill it's called assembly bill 1314 yeah. hold on just oh yeah in california it recently been pushed in california and hold on Jean, would you want to write, uh, read this first paragraph? Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, assembly Sorry. Bill AB 1314 would effectively force teachers, counselors, or any school employees to out their students to their families within three days of noticing any evidence of identifying outside their gender or participating in sex segregated activities or facilities that don't match up with their assigned sex. And this forcefully outs a highly discriminated against population, which can be detrimental to their health. A study from the National Library of Medicine indicates that 82% of trans people have considered committing suicide and 40% have attempted it with the highest concentration in trans youth. Forcing a child out, of their, out to their parents takes away their right to how they have a relationship with their own parents. It takes it out of their hands. Even more so, it can put students who are expressing themselves safely in schools in a dangerous home situation. If they aren't making themselves just as distressed and uncomfortable at school as they may already be at home, they are at risk now. Uh, along with that, I was, uh, the bill was pushed by Bill Asaley of Riverside and James Gallagher of Yuba City. Uh, Asaley stated that his motivation for pushing the bill was the fact that parents serve as the role for of giving protection and supporting their children and wanting them to be in the know of their children. But this is despite the fact that the bill would be a clear violation of students' rights to privacy and also ignores the fact that, uh, as stated before, lots of children don't have that safe space at home where their parents would be accepting of their identities. And uh, let's see here, and this is just, uh, Apart from that, a lot of trans children, when they're outed, are just pushed away or pushed out of their homes, like uh, pushed to homelessness on many uh, extreme occasions. And just 
this bill would just completely ignore that. Like, oh, we have to protect the children. Let's tell their parents. They'll know what's best. Like, most of the time that isn't true. The parent will just push them out to the streets and just let them, let them die. And that's just a terrible thing that's happening. I think just, yeah, also adding to that, um, I think that that this aftermath of all this kind this kind of like legislation is encouraging um, a variety of different people within school systems to police trans children, trans youth. Um, so again, just like hyper focusing on someone's gender identity is very dangerous to their overall livelihood. But I think this is what, you know, Jean and um, Caesar highlighted really well is like, there's this kind of cycle of violence that now that like this kind of uh, bill, for instance, is starting off like in the school sphere, right? And then that can impact their wellness at home. Um, just again, with the assumption that they don't have the kind of support that they need at home in their home space, that then leads to houselessness. Um, and then that could just lead to other potential forms of violence. So I, I definitely wanna stress um, just these points, right? In this kind of aftermath is there's this clear focus on trying to out trans kids and making sure that um, like the intention is supposed to be that it's for their well-being because their parents will be in the know, but um, more than what's most likely to happen is that there's just going to be uh, a lot of violence that these kids will then have to um, encounter uh, by being outed by their, you know, by teachers and, and folks at schools that they're supposed to feel supported and, and safe around. Yeah, so it seems like um, what this bill is proposing or what this bill could do is really make it so that it's removing any space where uh, an underage child, an underage person can be, can uh, be true to themselves about their identity, can express themselves as being trans, um, and making it so that there is no space for them to do that. If, you know, if they are not feeling comfortable doing that at home, and if they can't do that at school, because then they're, um, they might found, find out at home. It seems like that's really um, one of the dangerous effects from this bill. Um, now, it's, it isn't law yet, correct? Can you tell me more about what stage it is in the legislation process? So right now, it looks like it's advancing. It's being re-referred to the committee as of 3-13-23, but it's um, on hold. It has not yet been legalized, but unfortunately, um, I think we'll be able to win that fight. California's one of those states. This is the only um, bill that is just up there in California. We're opposed to, there's a bunch, there's 469 bills as of today targeting uh, LGBTQ. Uh, IA plus individuals, there are 341 advancing, there's 38 of them passed in the law, there's three more that just got introduced, and there's um, 87 of them that have been defeated. Um, and a new one that's being brought in Florida, and I believe Kansas right now, um, they are trying to, they have a bill that's written 
where um, if it is goes into law, it is allowed by faculty to inspect the genitalia of the children if they're if they're trying to um, be on the sports team that goes with their gender identity. So whether or not it's a transgender person or not, they will be allowed to check the entire volleyball girls team. They'll be allowed to check if they have uh, female genitalia or not. Same with guys at the guys football team. They can check all of the guys genitalia to see if they have male genetics or not. And they want that to be a law. It got uh, denied, but they vetoed the, the, the denial of it. So then it could go to house. And I think like that's that's very that's very a lot, especially considering that um, people of the LGBTQIA plus are being accused of uh, being pedophiles, um, especially like drag performers are being accused of being pedophiles. We're accused of um, sexualizing children, but to me, that sounds like the sexualizing of children. If you look up the statistics, the statistics on all the people who go to jail for pedophilia, they're either youth pastors, PE teachers, or um, uh, political, political legislators, like people who make these bills. Um, and a majority, a vast majority are just all white, old, cis, hetero men. And they're the same kind of people who are making these bills. So who are the real threat to kids here? Bills like that, that allow adults to molest your child to see what kind of genitalia they have, or a drag queen who's teaching a child about self-love and it being okay to wear what you want to wear and say what you want to say and be who you want to be. Okay. 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 Uh, also did want to add, uh, thankfully, this bill uh, hasn't gone to the assembly yet, so there's still time for us to act on it and like vote, you know, call our local senators, call local governors. And thankfully uh, for us, California is a fairly liberal state compared to others. So I, I'm hoping, I'm praying that this doesn't pass. And, uh, but that isn't, a lot of other states just don't have that. A lot of different states where LGBTQIA people live, Florida, Alabama, Tennessee, just the far south, where there are more uh, people on the far right uh, controlling the government, they don't have that. And it's our job, you know, both the collective, anybody, really anybody listening to this to just act out, you know, call your senators, call your governors and express your opposition or support for bills concerning LGBTQ rights and just any sorts of rights, you know, just be involved. So um, I definitely want to know more about what we can do to express um, concerns over this bill. Um, but before that, I wanted to ask, um, you know, Naomi, you gave us some examples of other laws in other states um, that are definitely um, taking on a much more extreme stance on policing the gender of their students and on policing um, trans identifying students in their schools. Um, so 
Uh, I'm wondering um, maybe if we could elaborate more on the negative effect that a bill has, um, uh, that bills like these have on children, um, since they do harm children rather than protect them as, you know, they are being they are being proposed as bills that are protecting children, but clearly the adverse effects are there, right? Uh, definitely. Um, and the unfortunate thing is if you ask these children that are quote unquote being protected, um, none of them have a problem with any, any LGBTQIA plus person. A lot of the people are um, like, on our side, like that's that's the generation that has the most work to do. Our generation too, as well. Um, we're the ones that have to fix this stuff because all the, like I said before, all the people who are making these bills are all older generation people. Um, they're scared of the youth taking power. They're scared of us finding out all this information which is why um, banning TikTok was being something that was thrown out there too. And it's not because everybody just is tired of the dancing videos and stuff. It's because TikTok gives out a lot more information what's happening inside of people's city. You can literally see real life footage of tragic events that are happening and the government doesn't want you to know all of that specific information because they want to be able to hold the narrative and push it where they want it. Um, yeah, it, 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 the, the, the kids, it, I feel like, especially with um, the, the genitalia exams, um, it's just going to make most kids not even want to do sports, which is, for some, a lot of great outlet to get out of their house, especially if their house isn't a welcoming environment, just period, not necessarily of your gender or sexuality, just it just might not be a welcoming environment and staying at school and joining activities like that is how kids, um, you know, are able to get out and be away and have fun with like-minded individuals who enjoy the same thing. Um, and it's just blocking the opportunity for everyone to be, no pun intended, on the same team. Because once all of us start working together, uh, that's when we become powerful. And that's when they start to fear the stuff we're doing because we know exactly what they're trying to do. But they, uh, the, the, the government, the far right, is just trying to make sure that um, it's a very, Eurocentric, male-dominated society, um, and they're trying to keep it like that. They're trying to keep the power there and not let it be shifted anywhere else. Uh, Ezekiel, you mentioned, um, you emphasized the violence that trans students might face um, if bills like these are passed. Violence against uh, trans and non-binary people might not be so clear. It isn't always um, something that is a clear form of aggression. And by eliminating these um, gender-affirming spaces for students, it makes me think of, for example, I'm a non-binary person. And when I was growing up, I lived in a 
rather fundamentalist household um, that was not a gender affirming space. And it makes me think of other students who might be in those positions who um, maybe they aren't facing, you know, explicit uh, acts of violence, maybe it's not physical violence, but the detriment that that can take on their mental health, right? Yeah, definitely. And I, I, I think that um, you said that really well of, you know, that some of this violence might not be um, visible, like it might not all be physical. A lot of the violence can often, you know, take a toll on one's overall mental health. Um, and, you know, and just thinking about like the impact that this kind of legislation can have, um, it just has me thinking a lot about the overall trust that um, I think the this legislation is trying to disrupt. So really making it so that uh, trans trans youth, trans adolescents, I mean, trans adults feel like there's really nowhere to go. And I think the passing of some of this legislation, um, you know, other states can point to this as like, this is precedent. And this is like, okay, this, well, they established this here. And, you know, that, that was um, taken into effect. So I think they can point to those things. And then as, as a way to form new anti-trans legislation. Um, so I'm just thinking so much about, yeah, how this will impact the kinds of available safe places. I think, honestly, regardless, um, LGBTQI plus community, like we find ways to stay in community. I mean, you know, we find like these kind of underground approaches, but I don't think that anyone should have to do that to just feel valid and acknowledged and just, you know, just existing in, in their authentic, as their authentic selves. So um, I'm really just concerned um, that this kind of legislation will just make certain folks feel um, inspired to do and just continue to cause harm in these ways. Like, I don't know, I think it would actually be really cool to be in conversation with trans youth and ask them if they understand um, what this legislation means. I mean, I can't imagine, I mean, I can begin to imagine, but you know, just, figuring out your identities and then seeing all of this legislation across the media um, and all these like public spa uh, spaces and platforms um, where they're so focused on whether or not you should be involved in sports or if you know you can attend school without being outed by your teachers and counselors. Um, I just I can't imagine like going through K through 12 and just struggling with all these other things going on in life, but then still having to figure out about, you know, worrying if this like legislation is going to impact my livelihood. Um, Ezekiel, can you tell me about who is sponsoring the bill? So I know the AB, um, the one that we were talking about, the Bill 1314, right? I think y'all mentioned this earlier, but this was from uh, Riverside, California Senator, right? If I'm not mistaken. Um, and so it's specifically, let me see here. 
Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. Bill Asaley of Riverside and James Gallagher of Yuba City were the ones that introduced the bill, but I'm not entirely sure about the other sponsors. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can I can um, pull that up. I had it open, but I think um, your question has me thinking about like the identities of like the folks who sponsor these bills, the folks who are direct supporters of this, you know, like taking a look at their identities. And more often than not, it's usually like cis men who are pro all of these kinds of like anti-trans legislation. So that's a, a really important factor to consider and process because it's very clear um, just like the impact that that has of like, first of all, lack of representation um, in politics, but also, you know, the kind of legislation that gets pushed forward, it's, are we having a conversation about their identities and how that, you know, is impacting the kind of legislation that they're proposing? I right, think that's and crazy that um, Riverside, it's an official from Riverside, because Riverside was, like UCR was one of the first colleges to ever even offer a queer theory section to be a degree. I, th I think that's that's crazy. Sorry, uh, but yeah, uh, in Riverside, I mean, yeah, that is kind of crazy that, you know, this is in California, a pretty liberal state, but also <laughs> I, I do like uh, something I think to myself, then that's crazy, like in California, but also Southern California. So, <laughs> so California, but also the South. So like the pretty more so right part of a pretty liberal state already. But, but yeah, that is surprising just here in California of all places. Um, another thing that I will say about the, the bill, too, is that um, the Assemblyman Bill Iseli, um was framing uh, a response um, because the uh, where was it? Um, basically was responding um, and saying that, um, kind of just trying to push this bill even further, but saying, um, quote, gender dysphoria is a serious issue and parents need to be aware of the associated mental health risks trans minors face. Studies are clear that trans minors do better with parental involvement, leaving parents in the dark as dangerous and unconstitutional, end quote. So I think it's really interesting that, you know, he's, very clear about uh, the influence that um, this kind of rhetoric has. And he's using uh, the mental health component as like a main way to push this bill forward um, and saying that parents need to be involved. Um, it seems like there's research involved here. So when we're thinking of the research that he's pointing to, I think it's dangerous to not 
state the other very valid statistics about the uh, actual amount of parents who do support their trans kids, um, because more often than not, that's that's a that's not a, a very big number. So to kind of point to that and say parents need to be involved because you know kids are mental kids mental well-being is impacted by gender dysphoria um and then not not uh talking about the differences between like gender dysphoria um identifying as trans non-binary etc um like there's a reason why you know parents don't know this about their kids it's probably because they don't feel safe to share this um so i just wanted to point that out and you know, it's clear that he does, he's doing some research or his team is, but he's leaving out some very important statistics. I know full grown adults still that are my age, 24, 25, and they still haven't um, started transitioning because they still live at home with their parents and their parents aren't accepting of that kind of stuff. And so the only way for them to transition is to like socially transition, which is what most of these cases are at school. These um, filmmakers think that uh, we're mutilating um, children's body to shape a different gender at such a young age when that's not the case. A lot of the, the, the transitioning stuff when it comes to younger um, trans youth, um, it's mostly like testosterone blockers or testosterone enhancers. Um, which are pills and then a lot of it is socially transitioning it's it's telling your school that hey my child is now a transgender female um make sure that she doesn't get called by her old dead name um that's that's a lot of what the the the, the stuff is but these filmmakers think that um the the immediate thing they think of is um surgeries that that kids are getting surgeries at such a young age which is not necessarily the case for most for most trans youth yeah i think that's an important distinction to make that gender affirming care doesn't mean just immediately jumping to surgery right or not everyone gets surgery that's a very personal decision um and something that's made with a lot of care and thought um and looking at um I was looking at some of the specific language um, in the bill, um, AB 1314, and um, it states uh, the responsibility of school employees in reporting whether a student is identifying as a gender that does not align with the sex, with a child sex on their birth certificate or other official records. And that seems like incredibly dangerous, vague wording. Um, because further down, it does uh, specify being referred to um, as a different gender, but that's a completely different idea. So I, it, another concern of mine would be whether this is targeting LGBTQIA plus youth as a whole who might not be presenting um, according to traditional gender roles. Uh, definitely. And then another thing to um, add, add, add to that is um, like it says in there, uh, if the child shows signs of having a different gender, right? Um, but 
there is some cisgender females who just dress more masculine. That's just their style. That's just their vibe. They could have grew up on a farm. So all they wear is like shorts and a t-shirt, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are um, acting in like gender expression for changing their identity. It just means that's just what they like to wear. That's just what they feel comfortable in. It gives leeway to like probe further into these students' lives beyond what is even important for a school or any officials to even know about them. It's very personal, it's very invasive. So Caesar, you mentioned um, that there might be some, you know, actions that we can take in order to voice our concerns about um, this bill. Uh, what, what can we do? Obviously, one of the main things is just voting, you know, that's one of the main parts of it. You know, uh, you get the, oh, it's voting day, just tell your name, just uh, search up what the bill is saying, what the sort of, you know, what the law is doing, and then if you're against it, you know, just vote against it. And, but some other major ways you could help out is sharing information, you know, sharing information is always good, like telling people hey, this thing is happening, support it or don't, you know. And, you know, just expressing your concern. A lot of, uh, a lot of action is done with protests, you know, protests, walkouts. That's another major way of showing your support for specific bills and with specifically LGBTQIA bills and laws. That is one of the main ways of showing your support. Like a lot of, we all know about those, uh, you know, just walkouts, protesting big old signs and you know just showing your support is the best way to make a change you know yeah, yeah if you see a petition definitely sign it petitions do help petitions get um bills pushed back quicker they get them pushed forward quicker um you can also call your county's um, like city hall office and you can leave voicemails expressing how you feel. You can call other states city hall's office expressing how you feel. You can email them. Um, you can also, um, when it comes to voting, you wanna make sure to not just vote the four year, the every four years, there's other periods of time where you can vote. Um, and a lot of the voting that is, I feel extremely important is when you're voting who you're representing for your state and county in the assembly line, because those are the people that get the final say on the laws. It doesn't matter if what we think, it matters what, how many people in the assembly vote yes or vote no. So if we're putting these people in that don't have our, um, if we're putting people into office that don't have our interests in mind, and just self-interest, um, then we're definitely not gonna not gonna win a lot of the win a lot of the fights. Yeah. So voting in local elections for local representatives. Um, yeah, absolutely. Which I think are elections that are kind of easily overlooked, right? Um, 
can we or should we, for example, contact Assemblyman Bill O'Sealy directly or Assemblyman James Gallagher to express our concerns? Well, they are assembly members, so I'm sure like I'm sure they're already getting tons of stuff and, you know, every, like a couple of letters here and there might fly under their radars just because they're so busy. But, you know, contacting them, sending emails like usually if you call up an assemblyman, sometimes their assistants may answer and just be like, hey, uh, I don't like this bill. Send the message. You know, building that personal connection could could happen and could help out to your advantage. You know, write out write out letters, write out emails to your local representatives and also governmental workers and other sorts of representatives. Yeah, and if you're looking for specific people's information to contact, um, my favorite website to use is the ACLU.org. They do a lot of fundraising for a lot of bills, um, more than just LGBTQ, but you can track all the bills easily. And on that website, um, you can go, you can filter it by state, you can filter it by issue, and you can filter it by the status. But each bill has a link where you can go to um that states and counties specific bill, like you can see what they're writing. And then usually at the end of it, um, there's emails or on the website, it'll give you contact information on who to contact. So definitely, again, it's aclu.org. Um, and even if you just wanna educate yourself on, on more, more uh, bills that we haven't talked about, because there are a lot of bills that we have not talked about. And that website has all of them and then some. Um, two of the things that I wanted to share, um, one of them is uh, something called Trans Santa. And so this um, started off with, I think, on Instagram. And so it's kind of gotten um, a lot larger. And I think now they have like a lot of support. But basically what Trans Santa is, is they ask um, trans youth to send in their letters to, to Trans Santa, basically. And anyone can um, purchase and support um, the trans youth that sent in the things that they need or that they want. You know, oftentimes they um, trans youth just don't have access to certain things from like things that like are gender affirming or to just things that they want and desire. And so Transcenta is like a really awesome um, platform that is using their social media platform to to share, um, you know, to share this and and support trans youth, um, and so that's one that always like brings me a lot of serotonin because it's just cool to see folks like actively supporting trans youth in the in these kind of like monetary ways. Um, and another one that I wanted to share is um, this organization called Trans Defense Fund in Los Angeles. Uh, which is like their acronym is like TDFLA, um, and it's a mutual aid group that was created in response to the amount of violence that trans women experience, specifically trans women of color. Um, and so they're a nonprofit mutual aid group, and I just really value the kind of work that they do um, because it just has me thinking about like community always, you know, being there for community, community supports community. So, you know, um, one of the things that they do is create, um, they have like this trans defense fund, um, which goes for directly toward 
providing uh, self-defense kits uh, for trans folks. And they also host self-defense classes and they partner with Riot, uh, with Riot various initiatives in Los Angeles community um, to provide other uh, free resources, whether it's like a free meal um, from like beauty bags or to other wellness bags. Um, but I love that this is centered around just helping uh, trans people like defend themselves because of all these uh, anti-trans legislation, but just the the exist you know the violence that they encounter. Um, so these are like two uh, different um, organizations that are you know actively supporting trans people. Uh, but yes, along with the um, trans legislation that we've been discussing. Um, I think it's important to talk about stereotypes um, that impact folks in the community and also just different stereotypes that we've encountered. Um, so I don't know, whoever wants to start off with some of the stereotypes that they wanted to discuss. Uh, I could go first. Um, one stereotype that I've seen um, not necessarily within the community, but from outside of the community to us is the stigma behind HIV and AIDS. Um, a lot of people are under the assumption that um, it's still like a death sentence, even though modern medicine has made it to where it's very treatable to where you could get it undetectable and untransmittable. Undetectable means that the virus is not necessarily present at the moment and untransmittable means you can still have sex with a person who isn't HIV positive and not contract and not give them the virus. Um, so I just, I just, I just um, also like, it's not necessarily in the LGBTQIA plus community because the only, I know two people who unfortunately have the virus and neither one of them fall under the category of the community. One of them is my cousin and my cousin had, um, got it because my Thea got it. My Thea got it and gave birth to my cousin. So unfortunately he has it now too. Um, but yeah, I just, just don't, if you hear somebody who has HIV, don't treat them like they're dying. Don't treat them, don't treat them any differently, you know, be gentle with them, be supportive and just know that, um, that, you know, it's okay. It'll, it'll be okay. Uh, for me, a stereotype that like mostly comes out of a lot of like misconceptions is that I have talked to a lot of people who just think that trans people are a myth, that they're not real and that the idea that they have behind it is that they're just confused, like they're confused gay men, they're confused lesbians. And I've had a lot of people confront me with that. They thought that I was just a very confused butch lesbian. And I've had like um, trans women friends who have been told that they're just a very confused gay man. And it's a very harmful and strange stereotype and misconception that I've dealt with and other people I know have dealt with. Okay. Uh, it's minor stereotype I've had, I wanted to discuss was a. Uh... I'm bisexual and there's a very, uh, there's this strange just stereotype around bisexuality that you're, since you're attracted to everybody, you're willing to have sex with anybody, just uh, 
it's just really it can be harmful and it's just so weird like like uh i don't know like it sort of goes into this sort of thought that the lgbtq community is just fueled by uh people's sexual wants and that's a really harmful idea and, Um, in terms of stereotypes, um, I, I'm thinking of uh, stereotypes around transness, and I think there there's one just about um, transitioning. And so I think uh, a common stereotype is that all trans people want to transition or have access to that kind of the kind of uh, funds that it requires to transition. Um, so I think this is like an assumption by the public, I would say. Um, so I think that oftentimes erases like trans non-binary people's experiences or or just trans people who, you know, don't want to transition. Um, but I, so I, I just definitely want to address that a little bit um, and and talk about like trans non-binaryness and how that can still exist within the community, but that doesn't often it's not connected to any form of transitioning. So I think that looks like just ch uh, changing the narrative a little bit, um, maybe centering people, um, like still centering the conversations around transitioning because that's very, very important. And just in general, access to gender affirming care is really important, um, but also offering the perspective of someone who maybe doesn't want to transition and what that looks like for them or just how they might define their own transness, their non-binariness. Um, I know for me, oftentimes when folks look at me, I'm like a very mask presenting person. And oftentimes the clothes that I wear is mask. So I think there's like just the instant assumption that like I'm this trans mask person who wants to transition. Um, and while that's the truth for a lot of people, that isn't my truth. Um, so I think just having, you know, more conversations around that would be, um, an important step in kind of un just like unpacking that stereotype a little bit and just showing the the endless ways that we exist um, because we really do contain multitudes. So I think um, having conversations about our identities, what it looks like for us to express ourselves, um, I think is one way to challenge these stereotypes that exist and also just uh, give an opportunity for folks to discuss their identities that don't often align with maybe more well-known uh, representations. Yeah, thank you so much for mentioning all of that. I think it's all, you know, so important to have more conversations and to just create a deeper sense of understanding. I know it can be daunting at first, um, I mean, I mentioned before I'm non-binary and I use they, she pronouns, but it took a lot of introspection to understand that and to even um, get to a point where I was uh, using other pronouns because it is it is a break from what you might be used to if you don't grow up around that. And, and that's okay. 
Um, I think that that's another misunderstanding, maybe not a stereotype, but a misunderstanding that I would like to address is that it's okay to mess up. It's okay if you, you don't remember everyone's pronouns after the first time you meet them. Um, and I think that by and large, all trans and non-binary people that I know are extremely understanding of that and extremely okay with it. Um, and as long as you make an effort to be accepting and to understand them, that is really all that we are asking. Um, and it makes a huge effort. Um, I think that just um, trying really shows that you support people and that you are willing to accept them, even if you don't relate. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think even um, adding a bit of what I've experienced that with pronouns too is like um, something I try to say to like encourage folks who like use a variety of different pronouns is like encouraging them to to emphasize like how they want to be addressed. So not just saying like, for instance, um, sometimes people use like all pronouns, right? But then people will only use like the first pronoun that they list or the ones that they still might socialize them as. And so I think um, it would be important to share like, or have folks emphasize like, do you want us to mix these up? Or like, you know, how do you, um, what does that look like for you? Because I'm thinking about my pronouns mine are they them and sometimes I think about just saying like use any pronouns but then I get worried about like people just using the pronouns that are comfortable for them um, but I get it people are still learning and I do appreciate any efforts but I think taking that step you know a bit uh, further and, and maybe asking like do you want me to mix these up or like what's your pronouns what are your pronouns today I think normalizing you know, that too um, is something that will continue to challenge and encourage learning um, of like different pronouns and just that, you know, these things change, they're not stagnant. One thing I wanted to add, um, like going back to what uh, Melissa had said, um, it took them a while to figure out, you know, the words pretty much to, um, you know, that they're non-binary, took them a while to figure out like that was the case. And I feel like that's what's happening a lot now. Uh, a, a lot of people are thinking that um, being trans or non-binary is a, a trend when it's not necessarily a trend. We've always been here. Um, we've always been active. Just now there's vocabulary and resources and different people with experiences that we can relate to where we are now comfortable saying, yeah, you know what, that that's me. That sounds exactly like uh, what I'm doing. And I wanted to say that identifying yourself isn't a sporadic coincidence or a trend, but what is a trend is choosing not to cooperate with humans and not giving respect to their pronouns, gender, and even the race, which all of us deserve. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Naomi, for emphasizing that. It's absolutely not a trend. And if you're experimenting and it is a phase, you're allowed to do that. You're allowed to take time to figure yourself out and to be respected while you do that. Um, I think one of the things that we wanted um, to kind of end with is like sharing some positive news. Um, so I know that we are at like the hour mark at this point, but um, does that sound good to you, Melissa? And kind of, you know, transitioning um, to sharing some uh, some good news and 
plugging in our club, one of the things that we've talked a lot about in our club meetings is also just trying to do um, our own reframing, right? Um, we've talked about the violence that trans folks experience, but also LGBTQI plus um, folks experience at large. And one of the things that isn't always centered um, in the media and, uh, and other public uh, platforms is, you know, the celebrating our identities, um, just discussing our joy. And so we want to use this opportunity to share some positive news. Um, and so we kind of wanted to offer a few different examples of that and, and talk about what they mean for us. Naomi, do you want to start? Uh, yeah, I could start. Uh, so what I found out was um, that in New Jersey, uh, as a whole state, they declared itself a safe haven for um, LGBTQI plus people, specifically for individuals who are either providing gender affirming care or anyone receiving it. Um, the It was enacted by Governor Phil Murphy. Um, and I just think that it's very nice because there's a lot of um, medical professionals who specialize in transgender um, health and wellness um, who are being forced out of the workplace because that's their specialty. And in states like Arkansas, um, it is illegal to give gender affirming care to um, youth. And so when you take stuff like that, the doctors are going to go to a state like New Jersey. But that's a good thing. And but it's also kind of like, a bad thing because then it takes away doctors who can work on people who aren't youth, you know, who people who can legally make decisions for themselves. Um, so once those doctors leave because they could get in trouble for giving somebody up to the age of 17, even somebody who's like um, how Britney Spears was uh, in custody of her parents pretty much uh, most of her life, people like that can sue a doctor for malpractice for giving them gender affirming care even though they're like a 30 year old so that's why um it's good that new jersey gave that safe haven where if you're somebody who provides care you know there there'll be a job here for you and if you need somebody who needs care and you can't find it nowhere else you can go there and that'll be you know the first step in trying to get back your gender affirming care uh i would like to share my little bit of uh, good news. So unfortunately, recently, uh, Missouri has pushed a bill. Who is it? Uh, the Attorney General Andrew Bailey pushed a bill restricting gender affirming care in the state of Missouri, uh, just making it less accessible for more people. And so what Andrew Bailey did, and the Missouri government, they've set up this website where you can report, you know, just report any concerns you have about gender affirming care, Basically, uh, they just want fuel for for them to be against gender affirming care. Just where you can submit complaints about any sorts of locations that offer that treatment. But that website recently came under fire by a whole bunch of internet uh, people on the internet. Just imagine when you call up a pizza place and you're like, "Can I get a pizza for Seymour Butts?" That's basically what they've been doing, and they've basically effectively crashed the website. And that's I love that. Just the whole support from a large amount of people just opposing what they think is wrong. And that really warmed my heart. Um, sharing my good news, 
was that um, what I had got was that April 14th, um, Jared Polis of Colorado passed three shield laws, which these laws protect uh, gender affirming care and abortion access. Um, they make it so that people seeking uh, care there cannot be followed through with prosecutions from other states. And it makes uh, the care for both of those things completely legally protected. And it also forces insurance to cover abortion in their plans and to mandatorily cover some kinds of gender affirming uh, care, including top surgery. And these shield laws are very important to counteract other anti-trans and hateful legislator and promotes safe spaces where those laws do not have jurisdiction. And those refuge states give hope to a lot of transgender people and especially trans youths. All right. Thank you so much for being a part of Talent Talks. How can students get in touch with your club? Uh, you can follow us on our Instagram at the collective MSJC. Uh, we don't have that many posts, but if you want to reach out, you can just like message us on there. And we have club meetings every other Tuesday in room, what was the room again? It's in the 100 building. What was it? 200 building. Oh, 200. Okay, in the 200 building. Yeah. So from 4 to 5 p.m. every other Tuesday. So if you go there at like 4 p.m. and see a whole bunch of us just standing out there waiting for them to unlock the door, you can just come on by and be like, hey, can I join in? I'm like, yeah, come on in. All right. Oh. So that was at the Collective MSJC. And um, I see that you also have a Discord that students can join. Awesome. Um, you can follow the Talon on all social media at MSJC Talon and visit our website at msjctalonnews.com. Uh, we also have a newsletter, so um, everyone can now join that. It sends all of our most recent stories to your inbox once a week, and you can sign up for that at msjctalonnews.com. Thank you so much to everyone for listening and for supporting us. Thank you. Bye.